0: Bitch, you need to hear this. Hello, hello, and welcome to, I think, the ninth episode of Bitch, You Need to Hear This. I can't believe it's been nine episodes. We've had... Oh, my God, I'm losing count. I think like five women come on and share their stories. And just it's been it's just been amazing watching this community grow in such a short amount of time and having so many of you wanting to come on and share and um, be a part of this community has been so fun. So um, I've had a really requested topic and this week we're going to cover it. So before I introduce my guest, I'm just going to share a couple of trigger warnings for today's story. So we are going to be talking a lot about issues with or surrounding infertility, and we're also going to be talking about cancer. So if any like cancer and death and dying, um, so if any of those things, obviously a both of those things are pretty much everyone knows somebody I think that has struggled with cancer and or infertility so just take care of yourself and know that that's kind of what's coming up for today um but I am so excited to share that I have my old she doesn't think she's my boss but I kind of regard her as my old boss April on the podcast today hi April hi so April she technically wasn't my boss she was my um internship supervisor back when I was getting my graduate degree in school psychology so we spent the last year of my grad program together pretty much every, well every day um full-time and april kind of taught me how to become a school psychologist well some <laughs> i mean i don't know i came in pre- i mean you come in at that internship you're pretty green so
1: you are green in some areas but you were also pretty polished in others so
0: I was a good student, but um, I have to, so I have to laugh that we, like, April and I e- exchanged this, like, Facebook thread the other day about, like, share your favorite memory of me, and so I told April that I was going to save my favorite memory for the podcast because <laughs> I think it's so funny, so with internship it's like kind of with school psychology internship I don't want to say it's competitive but you do have to apply and go through like somewhat of a rigorous interview process and so like at the end of the she's laughing because I know she knows what I'm gonna say I know so at the end of the internship Uh, Search the decision Day is like March 15th and Internships like supervisors can Offer an internship to a potential Intern but the intern cannot accept It officially until this March 15th it's March 15th right it's not April Yeah
1: it's March
0: Um Decision day, and so anyway, I had I had my eyes set on Chicago public schools. That's where I really wanted to go, and I pretty quickly figured out that I wasn't going to get an offer to that internship. So I started panicking, and I had had like several other in- interviews um, with different school districts. Because I I think I've shared this before, but my graduate school was in Chicago, so I was looking all within the Chicago area, and. Um, I got, and I had, I, my interview with April, I thought, went really well, I, it was a very strong interview, like, no problem, whatever, and, and it was definitely, like, my second, or, like, my top, my second choice, probably, under, under, um, CPS, but anyway, so, April calls me on March 14th, and I had not gotten, like, a formal offer for an internship yet, like, because, again, I really wanted Chicago, and that, I knew that wasn't gonna happen, so, I get a call. I'm in class. I run outside. I'm like, holy shit, I know this is going to be an offer. So I get on the phone, and it's April she's like and she's like just as panicked as me she's like hey um I'm gonna offer you this internship I'm not gonna lie
1: you're not my first choice but I really think that this would be good (laughs) that sounds so professional I'm so glad I said it that way and I'm
0: like oh okay and so like I couldn't formally accept it till the next day so I'm like okay I basically said I would accept it but I couldn't like officially say that but I just remember coming back into my
1: class and I'm like that's cool I'm just gonna that was her second choice second fiddle okay so a little explanation so I can redeem myself just a little bit it is so like I know how stressful it is for the students I I recognize that 100% but it is so stressful for the supervisors um to make a choice and when you do it solely on an interview it's it's awkward it's
0: I wasn't the best interviewer either.
1: Well, you and I talked about it. You've grown so much, and you did over that year. Like, it wasn't a bad interview. There was someone else for some reason in that moment that I was like, with the team, what do you think? And that's kind of where we landed. But in retrospect, it happened the way it was supposed to happen because... You were oh, great.
0: I know that particular person. Yeah. I actually yeah. <laughs> knew, and later on, we found out that I was the the superior choice.
1: <laughs> well, you and I are very similar people, so we just got we along. just we clicked really well. Yeah, one hundred, and that's that's the whole part of internship. Um, With the relationship
0: Yeah I remember going and like shadowing the day before Or not the day before but the school year Before internship was going to start I remember I was sitting with you uh, During lunch and you were like You know like we're We're gonna stay in touch like long after internship is over. And I was like, Okay. (laughs) But like we really have. I mean it's been it's it's been like five years since then. And I still talk to April pretty regularly. She was she was one of the few people that I kind of clued into what was going on during all my mental health stuff and all of that. And I mean it's nice to like as being as being a psychologist, you know that other people in mental health are gonna kind of understand or have you know empathy for what you're going through? And um, April herself has a really captivating story that really just um made such an impact on me and really changed. And I don't think I don't know I don't think it was that long into internship that you shared your story with me or at least parts of it. It was kind of like I, both we both kind of shared our stories like piecemeal throughout the year, but. Um I remember like so vividly You mentioning a couple Of times in the very beginning of my Internship about your first marriage And immediately I just assumed oh like She must be divorced like cause April at the time you know was like in her Mid 40s she had two young boys I knew she was married um so you, like at someone that's pretty young like that, you know, I just assume that, you know, my dad had a failed first marriage. So I just assume that, you know, that's that, not that that's the norm, but a lot of people do. So,
1: yeah, that's what most people would think for sure.
0: Yeah. But April's story is actually a very there were a very compelling one and and, a, and one that I think is going to inspire a lot of women that are similar to me in their late 20s, early 30s that had to start over. And also um, had a dream of being a mom and having a family and really struggling to get there. And I'm really I'm so grateful that you're here to share that story today Um, because it is it's just so inspiring. And I I think about it a lot, actually. It's just it's a it's a really cool story. And you're it just goes to show what a resilient human you are. Um, Well, thank you. (laughs) And how just yeah, like how you turned like the shittiest situation I could possibly imagine for a person really and just made it into such a beautiful story and you know have just all of it so I'm really excited that you're here to share Um, I'm happy
1: to be here And I love your podcast, I've told you. I reach out to you like all the time about it.
0: Oh, I know. Thank you.
1: And Uh, I'm probably not your target audience. I'm a little older. So have hope that you're going to reach those older people too. I know.
0: That's what I said. I said maybe we're opening up to like a little bit of a different demographic. And I love that. But like you said, when you're getting ready to record, I really think this will touch a lot of women that are closer to my age that have really gone through it and are wanting that hope that it all works out because it does
1: and just to go back a little bit when you said like you shared about your story I think part of how I deal with everything that I've been through is that I'm extremely transparent in the hopes that I do reach women that are going through or about to go through or whatever that's similar to me Um, and I know that I've helped other women with that not being my goal. It was more for me. And then the side effect was that I've helped other women. And that's what I love about your podcast. I think that not enough women build each other up and support each other. Um, There's too much knocking down when we all have vaginas. (laughs) We need to stop doing that. Literally. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We're here to pay it forward. Totally. Totally. I think your story is really paying it forward. And I'm like really excited to have this platform and kind of give you the space to share it on a little bit of a wider scale Um, because it is it's a really unique and inspiring story. So I'm going to I'll set the scene for us a little bit and then I'll let I'll just let you take it away. Okay. Um, But essentially, you guys, April is going to share her story of um, her first marriage, like I said, and um her husband getting a critical fatal illness and passing away and her kind of starting over and figuring out what she was going to do with her life next. And you were 27, correct? I was 27 when he died. Yes. Mm -hmm. So April's going to share about um, her, you know, relationship with her husband, Robert, And just kind of how that love story, I I would like to hear about the, you know, how that happened. I can tell you. It's it's,
1: it's a very like nice love story. Very Um, young and innocent. Yes.
0: Yeah. And then just kind of everything that happened after that. So take it away.
1: Yeah. So I met Robert when I was 19. I think I was 19. (laughs) A baby in college. And he was a little bit older than me. So he was in his 20s at the time, Early, early 20s three years older than me, I think, if I can remember back that far. Um, and for him, when he met me, he if he were here to tell you, he would say it was love at first sight. <laughs> um, that was not the case for me, and he knew that. <laughs> um, I made a little convincing. I was also a very young 19, like very into boys, but very shy in high school. Definitely did not put myself out there, not someone who took risks with boys. Um, So I was very innocent, inexperienced, nervous. (laughs) Um, But when he met me, he was like, this is the woman I'm going to marry. So he pursued me pretty hard. Um, We became friends, I would say, like we would this was before email and tech.
0: <laughs> yeah, what year was this? Bring so us this, back.
1: Yeah, this is 1991.
0: Okay, I was not born yet.
1: <laughs> well, Katie, we know this. You and I have a bit of an age difference. Yes, no, I love it. <laughs> so 1991, we started that summer. So this was like fall of 91. That summer, um, we went to a, a Jewish camp together, um, both Jewish for the summer. And that's when we started dating. Um, And it was pretty evident early on that like, this was like a real relationship. Um, And so things just went really quickly. Um, That fall, I was going into my junior year of school. He went to University of Florida and he was finishing up there. Um, And a month into school he was like I can't we can't exist this way (laughs) so um I dramatically dropped out of school to move in with him in where he was going to school um it did not go down so well with my parents Um, (laughs) um
0: dropping out of college for your boyfriend didn't go over well with your parents
1: no it didn't and I was 20 I was 20 at the time so I was a baby like what are you doing you're 20 you need to finish school blah 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 we didn't listen he stayed in school I didn't it's not true I went to a community college where he was going to school just to appease my parents but like knowing full well I was not going to get a degree from that Um, so flash forward when did we get engaged we moved in in the fall like winter 92 We got engaged sometime in 93. I can't remember the date. It is, and it's a funny story that'll connect to my now husband. Yes, I am remarried. Um, When Robert proposed to me, he proposed to me in the shower. (laughs) Oh my God, wait, what? Yeah, so he had a ring and he wanted to make up this like big grand showing, but wanted it to be like just between the two of us and he couldn't think of what to do. And yes, we showered together often. That was just what we did, and it was legit showering most of the time, <laughs> like, like intimate, like you know, he'd wash my whatever.
0: A man washing your hair is like a very intimate thing, but it just so feels so good.
1: It it was. Um, so when he got in the shower, like I was in the shower, and he got in the shower, and it was no, like I didn't think anything of it. Meanwhile, just to give you a sense of what Robert looked like, he was this like five ten, not. Very tall, but, but like you're not
0: very tall either. No, I'm
1: only five, two and a half. Yeah, but <laughs> He's taller than you. Oh, yeah, that's a must for me. But um, he was like a bigger guy, um, just like strong looking guy, like,
0: so, like not heavier so, stuff, but like stockier,
1: stocky. Yeah, stocky, like strong looking, like af- sort of athletic. I don't know. So when he got in the shower, he was nervous and. If you if people who know Robert and might listen to this would be like Robert was nervous like that just wasn't his personality. He gets in the shower and he's like shaking and I'm like are you okay? Like what is going on? <laughs> then he gets down on one knee and asks me to marry him. <laughs> so I kind of understood like why he was nervous. And I'm like you knew I was going to say yes, right? And he's like, "Well, yeah." So the funny thing is when we got married or when I called my parents to tell them we got engaged, they're like, "Oh, how did he propose?" I didn't... I was just like, well, he got down on one knee in the apartment. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we in the shower, him. actually. But Robert made
1: sure to tell my dad this story after we got... That day of our wedding. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so then we got married um, June of 94. I skipped something a little bit that we wanted to talk about. His family. Um, oh, yeah. On his side. Um, they were a little less than thrilled about all of this. And... Um, they, when I met his mom, the first thing she said to me was, "Get your damn hands off my son." And his dad was like, "I thought you were a leg man." And as I've stated, I'm five two and a half, so I do not have long, lanky legs. Sorry,
0: ain't le- he ain't a leg guy now, okay? That's all yeah, I know. Yeah. it Reminds me of when my mom met my her mother in law for the, my dad's mom for the first time, and my mom brought her a gift, and she was like, it was like this like crochet like house said like home or home is where the hardest. she gives it to my grandma my grandma's like what am i supposed to do with this
1: <laughs> <laughs> and my dad's like mom <laughs> yeah yeah so they they were all less than thrilled and i do think that on both sides you guys are so young why are you going so fast you have your whole life ahead of you just stay together you don't have to get why get married just live together you know in retrospect, it was all happened for a reason. But um, so we get married June of 94. I needed to finish school. He graduated. I did not. He was a teacher, by the way. Um, he taught fifth and sixth grades. Um, I had to apply to school to finish my degree. So we he had gone to camp his whole life in North Carolina, grew up in New York, but North Carolina was like his love. So he's like, let's move to North Carolina from Florida. And I was like, okay. So we wound up moving to Charlotte because I went to school at UNC Charlotte. Um, So we got married in June, moved in July, probably. He starts his first year of teaching and then come springish. He was like really run down, not feeling well. And for those of you in education, you know like the first year of teaching is pretty grueling. It's rough. And what what were you in school for? Um special education. So you were going into teaching too. I was going into teaching too. Yes. Yeah.
0: So you knew kind of like the first year is is rough. Especially, I don't know, the schools down south are very different. Mhm. So, it was and wasn't he in like a more of like a urban district why do i or maybe that was you
1: we both yeah i mean it's it's a huge county in charlotte and there's lots of diversity some of the schools are made up of very low socioeconomic status so lots of needs but like that's that was our calling for both of us that was what we were both very interested in um So I don't know that it was that so much, but it's just tiring. You're trying to do the best you can. You're having to create lesson plans and grade papers. And he also was an extremely gifted teacher. Like, you know, there are teachers and then there are gifted, amazing teachers. And the few years that he actually taught, he touched a lot of kids' lives um, in ways that not everybody is able to do. So he was extremely gifted. Um, so he put everything into it. He was this like passionate, like, I'm just going to do the best I can. So when he was run down, I was like, maybe you should go for a physical, you know, like, so he did. Um, and he he was also having night sweats, which was, is not normal. I mean, maybe when you're going through menopause, but not typically. (laughs) So when he went to the, um, doctor, the doctor's like, I wanna do an x-ray of your chest. And, da- and Ro- I do that all the time. Robert said, okay, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, he, so he went for a chest x-ray and I remember him calling me and saying, the technician just said to me, good luck. And he had a lot of like knee issues. So he's had 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 lots of scans and x-rays in his life. And he said in all the scans I ever had, no one ever like wished me luck. So short, it might have even been that day, the doctor called and said, I need you in, we need to do a biopsy. I'm concerned that you might have um, cancer. <laughs> and it's like, what? <laughs> Just from an X-ray, you can tell that? So at the time he did not have any like visible um, tumors or anything, bumps, lumps, nothing. So he actually had to do a pretty invasive way to like do a biopsy down in his lung area um and it came back as Hodgkin's disease which is a cancer of the lymph nodes it's just a specific so there's non-Hodgkin's and Hodgkin's lymphoma he had Hodgkin's lymphoma um and it was staged at like stage 2a because that the way they do cancer I'm doing visuals here no one can see (laughs) me um they divide the body into quadrants and then like upper and lower and sides. That's how they stage it and letter it. So like if it's in multiple places, that would be stage four. And then there's, I, I, don't, I don't know if there's A, B, C, and D. I know there's A, B, and C, I think. I don't know. It's been a long time. But so he was stage 2A. So of course you go to the doctor and they're like, this is the most curable cancer. It's in like the 90% in the 90s when we were told this. I don't know if it's changed since. Um, And we were young, newly married, and we asked, like, do we have to worry about having babies? Like, should we save his sperm? What should we do? And they're like, no, he's going to go through six months of chemo. They'll be temporarily sterile, but then it'll come back. And like you, I knew I was going to be a mom someday. Like, there was no doubt in my mind that I was meant to be a mom. So I wanted to know about that. So we did not save his sperm. So I could go through everything, but I'll try to like truncate the story. He gets diagnosed. He goes through his first six months of chemo and he responds really well to the chemo. He has his scan. It's gone.
0: The cancer was gone?
1: Well, yeah, like there was nothing visible at all and lymphoma is not something that can be removed because it's systemic it's you have lymph nodes in your whole body after about a month after we got the clear scan i think he started not feeling well again it's hard to remember anyway the cancer was back and at that time one of the newer treatments was called stem cell transplant so it's like a bone marrow transplant but you give it to you give yourself your own stem cells back It's intensive chemo. You're in the hospital for like three weeks because they completely kill every cell in your body. (laughs) Um, And then you give your cells back to you to regenerate everything, to rebuild your body back up. Again, he did fine, no cancer in his scan. And then this continued for the next four years. So he was diagnosed June of 95. He passed away in January of 2000.
0: Okay. So he was he lived with this for quite some time.
1: He did and he was he always responded to chemo or any treatment and then as soon as he stopped his it would come back and you can't live on chemo. Like it kill it was doing so many other things to his body and then he would get to points where he's like I just can't anymore and I was like, well, we're not ready to give up yet.
0: I mean, he was such a young guy he was
1: and then it finally got to a point where we're at four plus years and he was like I can't I can't anymore April um and at this point we were at like Duke University we were we had seen so many specialists and like experts like his case was brought before the tumor board in Texas at like MD Anderson because it was a unique case and why is he not like we I feel like we exhausted everything. His sister and mom might disagree. Um, Just so you know, I'm very close with them. (laughs) So, like, nothing I'm saying would be shocking to them. Um, So, December of 99, right before, you know, Y2K, the world's going (laughs) to end.
0: Oh, my God, all the computers Um, are going to shut down, yeah.
1: Right. His sister, who's my age, um, had just gotten engaged, and so we were planning to go down to Florida for um, the engagement party, and for him and I to take a cruise. Like, as like, what do you want? Like, you're gonna die. Yeah. <laughs> like, we know that. I hate to laugh, but <laughs>
0: well, it's kind of like your make a wish. What are you gonna do? Well, you yeah, going? and
1: he wanted to go on a trip with me. Um, was something that he wanted to do. So, December we went on a cruise um, to Panama canal and other stops along the way. He was really sick though. It was it was not a great trip. Um he fainted. Like it was anyway, I have some good memories. But then when we stepped off the ship, that's when I he had he had really given up. Like he loved to drive. I had to drive all the way back to N- North Carolina. Um, I'm like, aren't you looking for, we had two cats. I'm like, aren't you looking forward to seeing your cats? And he was like non-responsive. So that um, that was like almost around Christmas time. And then he died January 21st, 2000. At home, you know, some of the things that I tell people is the beauty in knowing um, is if you and the person who is sick are open to it you can talk about everything, right? Like, I don't, I don't have any unanswered questions um, personally from Robert. Like, I was 27. He's like, you will get married again. And he might be a better match for you than me. And I remember yelling at him, shut up. No, I'm not. He was right. I knew what he wanted to be buried in. I knew that, like, when he got really sick he wanted music to be playing non-stop and what music he wanted playing um i knew like ideas for what he wanted his funeral to be like um so i had i was devastated don't get me wrong and did therapy and medication and um when he died but
0: i mean it's just like what do you do now yeah I that's how that's at least what I I mean that's the thought I had right and obviously my partner didn't die but it was like when you're starting over it's like well what do you do now
1: well the parallel to your story and mine is that when I saw my therapist during this time she's like April do not make any big changes for a year do not make any big changes for a year and I was like oh Okay. And I and I will say we had a house. I was very comforted by being in that house even though he died there. Yeah. Cuz it's it was our home. You know, it was our stuff. It was our cats. It was it was our life. Yeah. So the thought of doing something right away was not on my mind. However, it was about that summer.
0: So like 6 months later.
1: 6 months later which was like being punched in the gut all over again, honestly um because people stop checking on you people people start to move on people start to move on and you get I got angry and bitter and people didn't want me to talk about it anymore and that's part of how I heal I talk about things um But I knew I wanted to be a school psychologist so that kind of gave me purpose and focus
0: so you found Um, school psychology like through being a special ed teacher I did
1: so I taught special ed for three years
0: in North Carolina
1: in North Carolina and it's it's a very different model in that like the special ed teachers there and it could be different now this was you know 20 plus years ago um they did a lot of the testing like the academic testing the achievement testing they wrote obviously IEPs um but were very worked very closely with the school psychologist so I became very interested in the whole testing part of it um for those
0: of you that don't know school psychologists work in public schools and they help find students eligible for special education services so kids that have that's what I do for a living. So kids that have disabilities, we evaluate them to see if they meet state eligibility criteria to receive these individual education plans or IEPs um, through special ed. And and this and like April saying, the school psychologist, you ideally do want to work really closely with your special ed team um, to help problem solve and provide, you know, help make sure that ensure that these students are getting the services and the support that they need to learn. Um, So you got to work really closely with your school psych while you were a teacher in North Carolina.
1: Yes. And so that's when I realized that's what I wanted to do. So my sister, younger sister, lived here in Chicago. Um, And so when I was applying to grad schools, I applied to one here. (laughs) <laughs> um and it made it really easy for me
0: did you think about staying in North Carolina at any point no
1: no you were like I, I you
0: made a decision yeah like six months after he died that you needed to at leave. some point
1: I would be it may not have been right at six months but somewhere during that time like I think that fall or spring is when I started applying and think, really thinking about it but it was always like kind of there it's like something I would do um so I came to visit my sister here um when I had gotten accepted. I went to National Lewis for my graduate school. Um I've never been in a place and I don't know if anyone else has ever experienced that. I live in Evanston. Um
0: Evanston is just north of Chicago. It's it like, is. And it's, it's where, where Northwestern very, is. Yeah, it's a very like awesome town. It's very it's like yeah. very liberal. It's where Northwestern University is located. Um it's just a great town It has great schools very diverse very it's not super affluent but it's like I don't know it's just a very unique place and I feel in the country I think a lot of movies are based out of Evanston
1: yeah the North Shore they call it the North Shore Shore. yeah yeah but But when I moved here or when I came here to visit I had like sort of an out-of-body experience of like, this is where I'm supposed to be. This feels like home. And my whole life, I never really had that. Like I I grew up in Miami. I never really feel like I fit in there, Florida. Um, And then Charlotte obviously didn't treat me well. No shade to Charlotte, but like, it was our one year anniversary and Robert got diagnosed with cancer. And so our whole time, my whole time there was dealing with illness. Um, And to go back to what you said about resilience, I don't think I would be the person I am today um, if I hadn't gone through that experience with Robert, um, our love was beautiful, but not perfect. Um, we weren't always so nice to each other, probably cause we were so young. I get the question all the time. Like if he were alive, do you think you'd still be together? And I think we would, but I think we would have been in therapy and had to work at it. Um, it would be hard for me to encourage my kids. To get married young, but at the same time I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't allow it if they thought that's where the path they should take. Um because I think Robert would have and I would have gone through growing pains together for sure. Um, which I think happens in every marriage, every couple, no matter age, stage, whatever. But but our love was like this intense. Yeah.
0: Like I remember I just remember you telling me about it. And at that point when you when I learned about your story like I was very much we were talking about this I was very much in love with Voldemort at that point like that was a very like I was saying to you earlier that was like one of the best times most stable times in our relationship when I was your intern and I remember relating to that of just like Mm -hmm. going through all those growing pains when you're in a super young intense relationship yeah when you your first love is just so intense you know, yes,
1: 100 percent, 100 percent. Yeah.
0: So I get that. And I think a lot of women get, you know, it's hard to it's hard to like recognize when that isn't working. I mean, for you, like it just I think it's cool that you can look back and be like, yeah, that was we would have been we would have we would have worked out, but it would have been hard.
1: It it definitely would have been. Um, and Robert was right the man I'm married to now is much better fit for me, (laughs) Um, which of course is easy to say in retrospect, but um, yeah, in so many ways, and it's a much more mature, grown-up kind of love. So yeah, I came here for grad school.
0: So you moved o- so you moved to Chicago and you just like started over. Your sister was here, so that was kind of like My sister was here, oh. yes. Yeah, you one hundred yes, like, totally alone, but I mean, was your sister married at that point? No. Oh, no, okay. So it wasn't no. like she was like in her own life or whatever.
1: No. No. And one of the questions I often get or would get is like, when did you start dating after Robert died? Three and a half years. I don't know if that was a conscious choice or
0: Well at that point you were 27 so I'm assuming that like a lot of people around you were I'm 28 now so a lot of people around me are getting married and you know entering that chapter of their life so I'm assuming that was kind of what you were yeah like a lot of people your age well I don't know it was the I don't know maybe people were getting married younger back then I guess but
1: I think a lot of my friends were already married because Robert and I went to a lot of weddings but yeah in grad school I met someone that I'm one of my best friends now and a lot of single people (laughs) I was probably the oldest in grad school because I was was I 29 I think when I must have been 29 yeah when I started and most people go to undergrad and write to grad school I obviously had not and I also took longer to get my undergrad because I lived in sin (laughs) so (laughs) (laughs) I should have graduated in 94 I graduated in 98 um yeah, so I was one of the older ones, but not by like a ton. Enough yeah, where you still your too con- bad. Yeah, 20 29 and 23, like 24, 25, like it all seemed to work. So I was able to, I had a so, I had a great social life. Like it was fun. Um and good for me.
0: Like it just oh, yeah, like so different than what you were doing in North Carolina. Like couldn't be more different, it sounds. Like living a, a single life in Chicago could not be more different than being a caregiver for your sick husband in North Carolina being a teacher yeah and
1: what's so funny you would have thought like I was this innocent person when I met Robert but obviously had lived a lot in our short time together I would have been like oh boys they don't intimidate me well at 29 30 31 I was still intimidated by boys (laughs) so (laughs) um which is insane to think about really especially now when I'm gonna be 50 next week but um ah,
0: <laughs> so exciting it's a good birthday yeah
1: I guess my kids I'm like sure to tell me I'm gonna be a half a century so <laughs> half a hundred I'm like when great my
0: dad when my dad turned 50 I was in seventh grade and I hired this company to come out and put gravestones all over our yard. <laughs> so he like looked out the window the morning he turned 50 and it was like over the hill that's great
1: that's great <laughs> You don't have to have a sense of humor and age is just a number. Um anyway. So, you had this like you, this totally different
0: social life. Ev- like everything was just you were fe- you were feeling better, more happy, kind of on your way, wherever that was going to go. You didn't know where it was going to end up, but you felt like, "Okay, I'm not back on track, but on a track."
1: Yeah, I'm a, am v- probably a lot like you. Um I'm always like, "What's next? How can I better myself?" that comes from within me it does not come from any pressure from anyone else in my life i just am always looking to i call it, you know self actualization what's next how can i improve get better keep myself interesting and feeling not fifty. <laughs> um, so,
0: so you were um, just kind of like living. I, I don't know, grad school in Chicago life. It's fun, mm-hmm. right? Like you have. Yeah. I mean, I was the same Chicago's way. Chicago's like, great. It's a great. Chicago is such a fun city. Yeah, lots to do.
1: Lots um, so to do. your best. Learning way, all right? about beer because yeah. no. it was the time of like the beer explosion with like microbrews and craft beer. Yep, one hundred percent.
0: So many good restaurants and bars, and so. You got
1: back into the dating scene I did While, while living I did. in Chicago I, I joined J-Date <laughs>
0: <laughs> So April mentioned that she's Jewish Like I don't know In the beginning of the episode But yeah you were on J-Date And this was what year was this? 2001 Okay so this was like Very much before you guys The age of dating apps Like this
1: was like Oh yeah J-Date and what's Match, Match were the E-Harmony. only 2 No e wasn't even yet Oh my god It was match and J date. That's all you had. So if you were Jewish, you were on J date. If you were anything else, you were on match. (laughs) Amazing. So you're like, all right, I'm getting on J date. I'm going to make this happen. Just talk to me a little bit about this experience. I. I, It was never for me. Um, I'm very much like, I feel energy, and it's hard to do through a email or.
0: Yeah, this wasn't even text. It was email. Oh yeah.
1: I mean, texting. it did exist then so yeah I talked to some guys I went on a couple dates one guy drove all the way from Indianapolis to Evanston holy shit to like go on a date with me and he was really into me and I was really not into him um he even spent the night like in my second bedroom and I was like god I can't wait for this guy to leave what's it gonna be like when he wakes up in the morning like was, he was the nicest guy but like no there is <laughs> I was not looking for love um if anything I was probably just looking for sex and he was not meeting that criteria <laughs>
0: well, like, you had such a I mean we, we obviously didn't go into detail about this but you had such a like you said passionate intense re- relationship with Robert and then by then it had been literally years since you've been intimate with anyone so yeah. I can so was, imagine yeah. that it was like <laughs> okay
1: I'm ready to get back on the horse but I did eventually get back on the horse um <laughs> obviously um um, I was too young not to. That's not how I was gonna live the rest of my life. um so, yeah, I met a couple guys and had some fun um okay, I love this not through j date though These okay, so people then you
0: met, like people organically in I met the real people world. organically
1: in the real world. I went on a pub crawl once that was really fun and you know made out with a bunch of people and that kind of broke the seal for me it was kind of like oh I can do that I can kiss other people okay okay (laughs) and then and then I got a little wild for a little while um (laughs) but not too long but then I well deserved I would say it was fun it was definitely fun um but not I'm it's not really in my DNA to like sow my wild oats um I'm more of a one woman kind of one what how do you say it I always get one man at a time. Yes, monogamous. You are monogamous. monogamous. I am a monogamous being. I don't shade anyone else who's not, but it's just not for me. Um, so fall 2003, I started my internship year as a school psychologist. Um, and I was in shock that I had to pay tuition and not make any money. <laughs> Um, I made $9,000. No. Yeah. No, right. I 15, think I made eight.
0: I made, fi- made $15,000. Yeah.
1: And that was like on the high end. Uh, that was
0: one of, the, I had like, I think the second highest paying internship in my yeah. class. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And you're still paying tuition and you still, I lived. One of the things that I had said to myself is I wasn't going to compromise my um, living situation. I had lived in a house. And so when I moved to Evanston, I moved to a really nice apartment that was not cheap. Um, And so I had to get a job (laughs) on top of my internship. Oh, God. Um, So I started working as a hostess at a restaurant. And I met Dave. (laughs) He was a server. Oh, okay. So you worked together. We did. And I was... 31 and he was 25 oh a younger man yeah i'm a cougar yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and i saw him and thought he was so cute and i pursued him and made the first move but i was only interested in sex i was not interested in <laughs> like, anything listen, else
0: i don't do feelings anymore <laughs> so like i've been there done
1: that so like yeah 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 so um our relationship started out as fun. But it didn't last, the fun lasted, but that title didn't last for very long. So we started the fallish and then. I would say by January we were exclusive so it was pretty quick okay
0: a few um, months a few months, few months a few
1: months I do remember that his parents throw a huge Christmas Eve party every year Dave is not Jewish I am um and he was like you should come and I'm like nope nope not gonna do that don't want to meet the family <laughs> yeah, nope I don't to meet your parents I absolutely don't want that I was like nope I'm out sorry um but I did meet them like in February so not long after um and like i love you came in march via text wow it was the <laughs> what a forward that for that <laughs> time that was very cutting edge and forward thinking he, well he's an it guy and he <laughs> he said we were chatting about something else in a text and he's like but i love you april and i'm like Excuse what? <laughs> Excuse me? Did you just say I love you? And I remember, like, not knowing how to respond. I'm like, was that be a text? This is weird. Like, we should be face to face. What do I think about this? You know, you have, like, I love you in a text, a proposal in
0: the shower. Like, you know, I don't know. Whoa. Yeah. Whatever. So,
1: yeah. So then, about a year later, we had bought a condo together, not engaged.
0: Um, was that the condo that you were dealing with when yes, I was your intern? Yes, oh God. it's gone. Okay. I don't have condo. it anymore. You sold it? Okay. <laughs> we did.
1: Yeah, okay. thank God. Okay. Um, oh, yeah, there was a lot of drama around that when there, you were my intern. Yeah, yeah. Yes. that's gone. Um, September of 2005, Dave proposed. We had been living in the condo since like April. So we were, you know, I was expecting it, but I had no idea and the interesting thing is I was also naked when I got proposed the second time. <laughs> what? This is, yeah, it's like a theme. I don't know what it's about. And I am not like someone who likes to walk around naked. This is just not who I am by any means.
0: <laughs> I don't know. Like, they, I don't know. No, we I were not having.
1: It, so it's a funny story. Ironically, all of these people that I was friends with, with Robert, were in town for a wedding so we went dave came with me we went downtown to see all these people and hang out with them for the day well i didn't know he had already bought the ring in the diamond district in chicago and he needed to pick it up that day so he's like i gotta go pick up he was gonna be taking a like a extended class for extra credits or whatever he had already graduated it was extra and he's like i'm gonna go pick up my books and i totally believed him and then we got back to the apartment And I don't know about you, but the first thing I do is take off my clothes, including my bra, and put on comfy clothes. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I was doing. And he walked over to me, and he's like, "Will you marry me?" And I'm like, "Well, yeah, of course, I'm going to marry you." Like, (laughs) and then he get down on one knee and whips out a ring, and I'm like, "I'm like, you mean for real?" (laughs) I'm like, "Can I put my shirt on?"
0: Was that his plan all along, or was it the same kind of thing where he was like, I don't, know, he just wanted to do it? Like, I
1: think he was also nervous. I think it's a lot on men. Like it is. So
0: like well, now especially with social media, I feel like nowadays there's like so much pressure to have this like really
1: cool or like unique proposal. But well, both the men who proposed to me knew I did not want it to be in front of anyone. Like I just wanted it to be intimate. Um, and so. I think that's just how it organically. I think it was burning a hole in his pocket. I think he couldn't wait, and yeah. I think he was nervous. And yeah. That's so, so, yeah. Funny. <laughs> <laughs> so we get married, March of '06, and something that's interesting about that is all of Robert's family was invited to our wedding. Um, And I'm still very close with Robert's mom, his sister, her kids.
0: So you like started out, you had mentioned like it wasn't all They did not like me. (laughs) Yeah, they didn't really like you that much. No, no. Did you guys become closer through his cancer diagnosis or where do you think, or after he passed? Like when do you think that shifted?
1: I think it was probably during all of the cancer stuff um, for sure. I mean, I was a pretty amazing caregiver um, I believe And that. I think it's pretty hard to deny loving someone who loves your brother and son who's sick and dying. Like, um, and I do remember Robert saying to me, one of two things is going to happen after, see, like you talk about everything. One of two things is going to happen after I die. You're either going to not be able to be together because it's too painful or you're going to embrace one another. And thankfully we did the second so um, they were all at my wedding to Dave. And what's interesting about that is, like, Dave's family, them, my, like, it's just all, we all love April. We all, they all love Dave now, you know. Um, Dave's family embraces Robert's family. Like, it's not weird at all. Um, it's just
0: beautiful. And, like. I'm the, very lucky. Was I'm there very a lucky. moment, you know, I, we, I think we've talked about this back when I was your intern but was there a moment that like or a sign that you ever got from Robert like did you guys ever talk about I feel like you told me about this and that's why I'm asking
1: I used to have dreams um where I'd be searching for him searching for him searching for him in a dream and I'd everyone knew he was alive except for me apparently and then I'd find him and he'd get mad at me and he'd be like you're not supposed to be here go away um One of the things that I used to do to sort of help me cope initially is, like, I used to talk to him every night before bed, right? Like, that's what you do most couples, right? So, I couldn't sleep a lot after he died. And so, one night, I was just like, that's it. I'm just going to talk to him. So, I started talking to him every night. And even when, like, Dave and I, I would be like, I'd go in the bathroom and be like, good (laughs) night. Good night. I felt guilty like <laughs> another Aww. man in my bed but like um I don't talk to him every night now but I do like I'm not a great flyer so if I'm gonna fly I'll be like watch over me or if I'm worried about my kids or my family or his family like his sister went through her own battle of cancer and I'm like you better watch over her don't let anything happen so I think he's my angel watching yeah, over think, me and my family
0: yeah and i think just the way that your family's just connect like connected and like blended in such a beautiful way like he's i just would feel like his presence would's like that i don't know i very much believe in like the afterlife and whatever and like she like his presence is very
1: much in that in some way like guiding I, that or like i believe like, that too i believe yeah. i would call myself agnostic which means i believe in stuff like that for yeah. sure yeah um I'm a traditional Jew but yes I'm, you celebrate the Jewish I celebrate the Jewish holidays and stuff and so to go into the infertility story
0: yeah so you and Dave got married and then you how long was it when you were married before you decided you wanted to so family? what's
1: interesting I'm older than Dave right so early on there were a couple things I had to kind of let him know <laughs> like I want to be a mom, he wanted to be a dad, so that was a non-thing, and I said, and when we have kids, I want to raise them primarily Jewish, like, that was really important to me, um, and he said, well, can we celebrate Christmas, I'm like, yes, Dave and I have very similar views in that it's all about family, that's what holidays mean to us, it's not bigger than that, it's the culture, um, it's the culture, it's, it's family, it's really at the core, it's just family, um, so when we got married our plan we got married in march but our honeymoon wasn't till june um and so we were gonna wait till june to start trying but i was 33 almost 34 when we got married so i felt like my clock was ticking um he wasn't even 30 when we got married so he was was like
0: "Eh, i'm not in a huge rush but obviously it's different right being a woman
1: and, and he was on board. He's yeah. like, can we at least wait to the honeymoon? I want, it, I want us to be able to drink and have a good time. And I'm like, 100%. Yes, we can. we can wait. So I don't know about you, but I walked around thinking... I'm gonna get pregnant the first time I have sex because I'm fertile myrtle, right? Like honestly,
0: actually, that, it's funny you say that. When, around the time I was an intern, I was so paranoid. I think I said this on a podcast episode already, but I was like so paranoid that I wasn't gonna get pregnant because Voldemort and I um, slept together so much with no protection that I literally thought like I was something infertile. was wrong. And yeah. so I got my fertility tested, and they were like, <laughs> I was 23, and they're like, ma'am. You could not be any more fertile. (laughs) And I was like, okay. Um, So I guess whatever. The pull-out method works. I I, don't know. Yeah, I
1: mean, I think that people... Most people think that they're fertile unless they have some other health reason yes, to assume yes, that they're I, not.
0: But like once I had that information and like in general, yes, I, I definitely and, and all my friends are like that. And honestly, yeah. like the age that I'm in right now, like I'm in my 20s. And so like my friends that are trying to get pregnant are getting pregnant very easily, like in one shot, a month or two, they're pregnant. Um and I think knowing just what I know now, like, that, surpri- that actually surprises me. But I think, yeah, I think people expect that. Like, as yeah. soon as I pull the goalie, I'm going to get pregnant.
1: Well, and I remember calling my gynecologist once because the condom broke in a panic. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Plan B. <laughs> and I, I, look, I look back on that going, well, that was ridiculous. Yeah. But, yeah. um, so, yeah, so we started trying in June of 06. Um, six months in, nothing, um, lots of negative home pregnancy tests, um, at about eight months, I contacted my gynecologist, and she said, yeah, come in, let's check out what's going on with you, so I go in, and they sent me for, so hard, weird to think about, because it seems like forever ago now, but, um, a brain scan because the pituitary gland produces hormones that help you become pregnant. And I guess my levels were a little low. My brain was fine, but whatever those levels were. So she put me on this awful medication that didn't work it wasn't like a fertility drug it was something to help produce this hormone and I don't remember which hormone I'm sorry I could look it up but I don't remember off the top of my head it was too long ago Um, so then after that Dave also got tested normal everything was normal so after about two months of that I'm like I just want to go see a fertility doctor like no shade to my gynecologist at the time she was wonderful but
0: you just had a feeling
1: yeah I was like seems like a little long so I went to my gynecologist or to a fertility doctor and she redid a lot of tests and again nothing came back as a problem like I was healthy Dave was healthy there's no reason why we should not be conceiving the fun way um so shortly after that, she's like, "Let's do IUI, which is int- I don't know what it stands for, uh, but it's basically the
0: in- not not insemination. Oh god, it's, it is
1: insemination, I think, because is it, they it, is it it's intra- like the turkey baster. uterine
0: insemination. Yeah, I think that's it's what the it turkey
1: baster method, basically, where you take some drugs." Um, to help you produce more eggs or help them drop when they need to. I'm so not a doctor. So for those of you who are like, she's saying it all wrong. I'm sorry. <laughs> they stuck a turkey baster up your <laughs> They shove the sperm in there. Yeah, that's all yeah. you need to
0: know. <laughs> I,
1: I would have been able to tell you years ago when I was going through it, all the technical terms. But I don't remember. I just remember the feelings. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we did that three times like 3 months back back no success um so my fertility doctor's like let's do IVF and i was like okay and we were very blessed with the insurance we had at the time and the laws in the state of illinois like if you had the state of illinois insurance through this one company they covered up to 4 IVF's oh shit cycles that's right. awesome yeah because, um, like,
0: I don't, for those of you that don't know, IVF is very expensive.
1: Very expensive, and, um. Like, isn't it, like, a, can it can of be up to,
0: like, $20,000, fifteen K sometimes?
1: We wound up, I don't know, because we didn't pay all the time, but we did wind up having to spend a lot of money, because it's, it took it, us a really long time. thousands of dollars. Yeah. Thousands,
0: yes. I mean, like, there are, I know most people that have to pay out of pocket. My cat just just my bathroom um most people that have to pay out of pocket like they pay like
1: I don't know it's very expensive a lot it's very expensive and my fear is that insurance companies are going to stop covering it at some point but
0: I don't think it's covered for me
1: I don't it's it anger that's a woman issue that angers me so I it, it, it kills me um so three IUIs no success so we're moving on to IVF Again, nothing wrong. Every time I needed to make eggs, my body made eggs. Made a shit ton of eggs, actually. Um, So, at this point, I'm 36. 36. Yep. No, 35, maybe. 35. So, um, first IVF, I'm like, I'm so pregnant. (laughs) So, again, like, this totally worked. So confident. (laughs) So confident. And I felt horrible like I,
0: mean, I, you. I got You're overstimulated
1: of- your belly is out to here you gain weight I lost my hair and I have a lot of hair Katie and I bond over our hair we do. and our, um, blowouts, we our do. blowouts I go weekly yep because I have kinky curly hair that I hate um so it was really hard on me um but the good news was when I did my first IVF we had enough embryos to freeze. So for those of you who don't know, like if you get enough eggs, you can't put them all in or embryos, so you can freeze them. That you have to pay for to keep them frozen. So I was gonna do it again and I was gonna use the frozen ones. So it's not, when it's not a fresh cycle, it's not as expensive because you already have the embryos. You just need to get your body ready with the drugs to put them in. And it's surgery when they put put you in, put them in. Do so they wonder like, and everything? Not like where you're intubated, but in like a twilight. Frozen didn't work. So, long story short, I went through three IUIs and six IVFs. Holy
0: shit! I actually did not realize you did that many yeah. rounds of
1: IVF. And the sixth IVF, I said to Dave, I said, "I can't. This is it." Like, and at one point during that, we did explore uh, adoption because, like I said earlier, I need to know what's coming next.
0: I'm actually glad you brought this up because I actually this part of your story like has stuck in my brain for so many years, especially when I'm talking to other women my age that are struggling with infertility. I so talk about that like you going and like exploring adoption as an option. So it's
1: probably after the second failed IVF, I would guess. Um, I went to. I'll tell you my part, and then I'll tell you Dave's perspective on it, because I think it's important to sort of hear the male part, because they're very much involved, even though it's not their body. Like, he wanted this as much as I did. Like, he wanted to be a dad, too. And we really didn't know if it would happen for us. Um, So all the emotions, therapy theme therapy
0: (laughs) yes go to therapy you guys we're all in therapy okay everyone is in therapy
1: I go in and out depending (laughs) on my life situations but I have one on retainer um so I think it was after our second failed IVF I said Dave I need to know there are options out there for us because I'm not convinced we're gonna have a baby and I'm meant to be a mom and so Obviously, your opinion matters, but I would love it if we could just get information about adoption. I need to know, you know. So we did. We went to an information session. There's a great, there, the cradle here in Evanston, which um, helps with adoptions and is, has, an, I think they have an orphanage there. We went there to hear about it. Um, they talked about international domestic adoption, pros, cons, I knew that if I was going to have to adopt, uh, it was very important to me to have a baby, um, I, a newborn. So we really only did that. Like it was a very brief information session that I needed to have in my knowledge bank because I was going to be a mom in one way or another. So I at the sixth IVF, I said, Dave, this is it. If this doesn't work, I can't. My body can't anymore. I have no hair left. Like I, I can't. <laughs> I feel terrible about my body and I'm, you know, I care a lot about my appearance. I'm not afraid to admit I'm vain and I care. I don't do that to other people vain, but yeah. well I am about myself a yeah. little bit
0: <laughs> I mean, you, just, you care about how you look and you I put care about how, I look. how you
1: look right Carey I care right so I was feeling really shitty <laughs> at that point um and luckily I got pregnant with my now almost 13 year old Aiden but not without
0: so when you went trauma, to, so when you went to the adoption, like, I remember you telling me, like, that it just didn't feel, I don't know, like, like, I don't know if you had like an intuition or like, uh, just a moment of like, this just isn't like, this is very hard, like to start to have it to was grieve vi- that you weren't going to, there was a potential that you weren't going to have your own biological baby.
1: Well, and I had already grieved that because when Robert got sick if he had been fine after six months it would have been fine but that major stem cell transplant that he had he was sterile for the rest of his life oh wow so i went through a really dark period where i actually went on antidepressants and um because the idea of not being able to be pregnant and have my own baby was traumatic to me so, that kind of brought up some of that. Yeah. Re- and then <laughs> um, rehash
0: some of that previous trauma. For yeah, sure. yeah. Yeah.
1: And so, yeah, I, I guess I knew in my gut I probably wouldn't be adopting, but I didn't know. I mean, I mean it's easy to say that in retrospect, but, yeah, I...
0: Or just the scariness of like Dave
1: really didn't want to adopt, but he appeased me because he knew I needed to look. I I can only cope with what's going on by looking ahead. That's just how I deal. Um, it would. That's how I've done everything. Like that I've talked about today. It's like what's next? Where am I going to go? What am I? Not that I don't live in the moment and feel my feelings. I do, but I. Part of my coping is like looking ahead um so yeah I it didn't feel right but I was glad I did it I have no regrets I think it's a wonderful thing that people adopt and there are remember my fertility doctor saying to me because I cried to her one day I'm like when's this gonna happen and she's like April you're gonna have a baby I get calls every day for newborns that need homes and I was like okay
0: I'll but it's just yeah It's hard. And I remember like when I was going through figuring out what I was going to do, like whether I was going to terminate my pregnancy or not, my um, therapist asked me like, what about have you considered adoption? And I was like, yeah, absolutely not off the table. Like, I just think I and I hope I I I don't know. Actually, know. Actually, I do know people that have personally adopted. I I would love to have someone on the podcast that has had that experience because I truly think it's beautiful um I think
1: we're a little tainted in the education field yeah
0: that maybe is what it is I think
1: it (laughs) I think think it is
0: yeah that's maybe what it is I um because we know
1: biology matters but it's not all that matters yeah
0: yeah and I but I just think it's it is a beautiful thing but but probably one of the most difficult things um a birth parent could do is put up their child for adoption and then also to like Receive a child that isn't biologically yours. There's a lot that comes with that.
1: I did learn that, like, if you're open to an open adoption, meaning that like you have communication with the birth parent or parents, it's it's a quicker process.
0: Oh, than than having a closed adoption.
1: Mm-hmm. At least this was, however, many years ago. But I do remember them saying that, and then I was like, oh goodness, I don't. I would I hope I could be that. mature, yeah, same. I would hope I could be mature enough about it and be open to having a relationship, like I get the pros and pros of it for sure, but i I don't know
0: it's a lot it's, it's a know, lot it's it's a lot, and so did you so you went through that, you were kind of like okay that's that's a possibility, but we're gonna keep moving with our i v f process. Okay. And did you get pregnant with Aiden through IVF?
1: I did, and something we did after the second failed IVF is we started I doing think I genetic. Just said
0: Evan, I meant Aiden. Sorry, that's
1: okay. <laughs> I think you said Aiden.
0: Okay, um, <laughs> it was like um, my thing in internship. I would mix them up constantly. I'm like Can you everyone do it? Right. does because
1: it's the vowels, the vowels, and they they're similar yeah. um, names, not people, but. Um, After the second failed IVF, we did genetic testing on the embryos that you also pay for yourself because my fertility doctor was like, this doesn't make sense. Like there's nothing, your uterus is beautiful. Your eggs are great. You and Dave are making great embryos. Like we're only putting the best ones in. Why are you not getting pregnant? So that is a interesting process in itself because the way IVF works is like, they take your eggs out that same day a man gives his specimen. <laughs> they put them in the embryo, in the egg, and then they watch them grow. And then with what's called PGD, which is the genetic testing, on a certain day of watching the embryos grow, they take little cells out and they're like, oh, this one has trisomy 21. This one has too many Ys. this whatever. And they call you with an update and they're like, well, of the 10 good embryos, three of them were not good. Seven of them were good. This, These three had this, this, and that. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's like mind blowing.
0: Yeah, that's cool. I mean, that's cool that science is like. It's
1: amazing that it can be done. Um, what? But, but what's interesting is I think statistically what the ones that we had something wrong with them, I think those eggs would have never been viable pregnancies or anyway, like if I had just had sex, you know? Um, so yes, Aiden was conceived via IVF, but it doesn't really just end there. And I think this is an important thing to talk about. So when you go through IVF, you have to continue to, um, take progesterone and possibly estrogen after you get pregnant, because you've tricked your body into producing hormones to be able to have IVF and these progesterone shots Dave did all my shots through everything so but the progesterone shots is like a two and a half two inch needle that you give in the butt <laughs> and when you've been going through infertility it's like bruise after, like you're just bruised And so every night I would just be like, just do it, just do it, just do it. And then it just got to a point where I would, he would be doing it and the tears would just be like falling down my eyes. so
0: bad, yeah.
1: But at that point I'm like, well, there's a baby in there, so I'm, I'm good. However, at about 10 weeks, 9, 10 weeks early in the morning, I get up to go to the bathroom and I fill the toilet with blood. And I'm like fuck that's my baby my baby's gone like so thing about going through fertility your doctors are available 24 7 called my the number they're like come in right now they did an ultrasound and everything was fine what they don't tell a lot of women is that yes bleeding can be bad when you're pregnant but it's also not uncommon to bleed
0: yes it's not normal, but common, I think is what they say. Yeah, it
1: can happen. so sometimes what happens is like you just get like this bunch of blood in a spot and it needs to come out. And that's basically what happened to me. <laughs> um, wow. But it was but horrifying. Terrifying.
0: Yeah, horrifying, traumatic. Ter-
1: it was traumatic. It was awful. So I remember saying to my fertility doctor, like, when are we going, when am I going to relax? And she's like, when you're ho- not until you're holding that healthy baby in your arms, um, and i was like oh great <laughs>
0: well i i know a woman um that i used to work for or co- co-worker that went through several rounds of ivf and she got pregnant with twins and i think she lost them at like 6 or 7 months gestation That's horrible it was horrible i like and i had, like we i had followed her like infertility journey and it was just
1: devastating. that's devastating like
0: i was devastated and she ended up getting pregnant with a, a baby like soon after that thank god and she had him and he's healthy and everything but oh my god like yeah. it, I mean just so stressed out I think so that's crazy. what I think
1: about all the time is like it can always be so much worse <laughs> yeah, um but
0: it's just like when I on was
1: edge. I know but like when with Robert like when he died people are like I could never watch the love my loved one die and I was like yeah but like I don't have any unanswered questions and then I would meet people who in a young widow support group who they're like my wife died in a car crash and I didn't get to say goodbye I'm like I don't they both suck you know like I I don't want them to die but my but at the time I'd be like oh I'm grateful for my experience because I don't wonder you know I'm not I don't feel guilt that I'm gonna get married again or you know um so yeah thankfully Aiden was born healthy <laughs> and he's about to turn 13 and he's a rotten little teenager <laughs> whom I love to death but of course he's a little course. man he he's, a good, little he's man.
0: sweetie like you're like sweet not anymore Katie oh, he God. is no. just rotten <laughs> I know Our every day I'm like where's my over? sweet baby <laughs> <laughs> when I was he was like I think in third grade when he was when I was your intern that's that, that's right um and he was just so sweet and you were like you were I think he I remember still like, is sweet I, I he mean, still still. He was so just sweet, like, he was your lovey, like, lovey kind of mama's boy, and then Evan was like, blah!
1: <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's my mama's boy, too. They both are, really. Maybe, but yeah. Yeah.
0: Boys usually are, but... Um, yeah. So you had Aiden. He was healthy. Everything. Knock on wood, yep. Went, went. All your good. Your birth was relatively
1: uncomplicated. Uh, no, it was... I was commiserating with... Was it Rachel last week? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, because I had it what they call an easy induction so I was like almost 41 weeks and that's when they put that balloon thing in that she was talking about yeah that is a bitch oh I Jesus it hurt and then they're like you're four centimeters after they took the balloon out and I got an epidural pretty early on (laughs) because I I was like
0: Rachel was like four centimeters too she's like are you kidding me
1: and then I never progressed so I wound up almost 24 hours later through all of that labor whatever with a c-section because Aiden's heart rate dropped not an emergency where I had to be knocked out and they had to get him out quick but enough where they couldn't stabilize it and they're like okay we're going in for a c-section let's go and I was like okay Um, at that
0: point you're like anything to get this baby out healthy is fine yes and I
1: did have the baby blues after he was born but not postpartum like Dave was like, are do you are you depressed? And I was like, no. And then I came back to him a minute later, Yes I am. I'm so <laughs> depressed. And I remember feeling guilt because we worked so hard to get him. And I love I loved him, adored him the second he was born and loved him to death. But like I, I also was like, Oh my god, our whole life is changing. Like you just go through all these emotions and the hormones and I call I remember calling the like hotline of just checking in and they're like it sounds like just the baby blues I want you to check in with your doctor and thankfully once I figured out the breastfeeding stuff which was a whole nother struggle um I always had to supplement but I did it supplement and breastfed it was quite the process it's a process I was just um about that yeah yeah saying
0: is not easy either
1: no it did not come natural to me or Aiden we were both like what is going on What is that? <laughs> uh, and I think I just didn't produce enough milk I do wonder if it's because I had the c-section and all the drugs and who knows I don't I, I who knows my body maybe was just never gonna do it I don't want to blame it on that because that's my story and that's how it goes but um then I went to my six week checkup, and my doctor's like, "So let's talk about birth control. I'm like, why? We want another kid. Like, you know we couldn't have Aiden easily. Like yeah, you've been here on my I have journey. Like
0: six rounds of IVF lady. Uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> I think I had a positive pregnancy test. So Dave and I were just doing our thing. Um, and I had a positive pregnancy test when Aiden was five months old, and then it wasn't positive. So it's probably like a chemical pregnancy. But then when Aiden was 10 months old, I had a very glaring for the first time in my life, <coughs> positive at-home pregnancy test to the point where I was like, Dave, go get another test. And not the one that says pregnant, I want the lines. I wanna see the lines. <laughs> Cause I didn't believe it. My journey was never, it was so, I would shake when I would take those at-home pregnancy tests because I just wanted them to be positive and they never were. So it was traumatic for me. And then when it was positive, I was like, oh, I think we have to call the doctor. I wanted a blood test right away. Like that kid, my second kid, was bound and determined to be my kid. (laughs) Um, So Evan and Aiden are 19 months apart.
0: They do say that like a lot of, I don't know, I don't know the statistics. Stress or, yeah, I've heard. No, but they say like a lot. I've heard of many stories of women that go through infertility are like super fertile shortly after they give birth when i don't know i've heard that like multiple times i don't know the statistics yeah i don't i don't know, yeah, I don't, I don't it know it either is. but um it is really interesting you're it's almost like your body just like figures out what to do i, how, I don't know I,
1: yeah maybe um because i have evan and he's now 11 so
0: <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> i know
1: i know he's about to go into middle school it's crazy um I know. So, yeah, and my pregnancy with Evan was easy. Um, I think Aiden did pave the way. And I remember my gynecologist being like, you're so relaxed, this pregnancy. And I'm like, well, I mean, I didn't want anything bad to happen, but the stakes just weren't as high.
0: Yeah, because it just was, it had just naturally.
1: Yeah, yeah. Spontaneously happened. He is... I mean both my boys like I love them to death I love being a mom I'm far from perfect I'm a yeller um (laughs) which I don't think enough moms talk about either um I remember
0: you coming to work one day and you were talking to me about like you could not get the boy like I think it was Evan specifically like you were struggling with like bedtime routine and you're like oh, oh yeah like and it's and I also think there's part of when you're a school psychologist you're supposed to like know like, yeah, I, that's at least I haven't been a parent yet, but I would imagine it all goes out
1: the window when you're yeah, it's your I own mean, kids.
0: You, you <laughs> go into it like, okay, I know exactly what I'm gonna do, and then you're doing it, and you're like, ah. <laughs> <I'm a human laughs>
1: Don't get me man. wrong; I do think our career helps, um, but I mean, I, I also have two kids with ADHD and anxiety and. Um, oh, both boys have a diagnosis. Oh, yeah, I think I remember you telling me about. Yeah, yeah, they do, they do, but they're doing great, and I think part of why they're doing great is because of my advocacy. Um, I think we're in a good place too, like good district, whatever. But I am advocating for them on a daily basis, so
0: it's just beautiful um, though, like to go from a young nineteen-year-old meeting your like first love, dropping out of college being widowed at 27 meeting your second husband going through years of infertility and then now you're a mom of two you like you know have yeah
1: my oldest is about to have his bar mitzvah and all of robert's family is coming
0: so beautiful (laughs) yeah
1: yeah so and it's funny because my sister-in-law um and my brother-in-law i call him my brother-in-law i've had to teach dave's family a little bit about that like no i'm your daughter-in-law not your husband's wife like you own me (laughs) take ownership of me so my sister-in-law's husband who's my brother-in-law in in my eyes um i invited his mom and brother to the bar mitzvah and he's like you're inviting my mom and brother i'm like they're family like that's yes family they're coming
0: so beautiful and then i saw something i don't know like you talking to robert's sister on Facebook and you guys are talking about being like family or something like you're stuck with yeah. me or I think it was a, I think it was a post about Robert or it, like it probably like was an anniversary yeah. had come up of him dying or your wedding or I don't remember what it was but um it's just so beautiful like the way that your family has so easily blended and obviously I'm assuming you've been pretty open with the boys by now
1: oh yeah they 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 know. Yeah. <laughs> um. They they ask about him now. Like I mean, they have to know. We went on a trip with all these people, and they're like, "Wait, how? They're our family." I'm like, "Well, they're yeah, they're Robert's sister and aunts and you know cousins and so they they know. Yeah. Yeah. One hundred percent. And just the
0: way that Dave just encouraged, like obviously has encouraged that and her whatever. You know, I do like think it takes a that. special
1: man. To be okay with being in a relationship with a widow because it wasn't my choice to be single, and so I think I definitely met a few people on J date here and there that were extremely intimidated by that. Um, I think it's different than divorce. No shade on divorce, but
0: oh, that's it's totally different. Yeah,
1: I mean, yeah. So I do. I give him a lot of credit because <laughs> he's embraced, you know, a lot and accept it a lot so and I'm a lot I'm a lot at times so. yeah,
0: you, know, you are
1: <laughs> I, I admit it I I'm very you know I know who I am
0: <laughs> oh man yeah getting to work with you for a year I learned a lot <laughs> yeah and I don't about think I, t- pro, I was gonna say I learned a lot about your personality so I yes know. <laughs> yes yes but I think ha- but you have had such when you when people hear your story, it's like you've just been through so much shit. And I think when you go through a lot of trauma and a lot of hardship, like you just don't have time. To- I just don't I don't really have time have- for the
1: small shit. I, no. I just don't like. I, it,
0: it's just not even. Life's too
1: short. Life's too precious. Um, but sometimes I've had to take a step back and like go, oh, they don't they don't know my story. It doesn't mean I can treat people poorly. Like it doesn't give me carte blanche to be mean. Like that's just not that I ever wasn't tending to be mean it's just how some people took it at times so yeah
0: and I don't think yeah I I, I think it, it changed my view of you so not that I was like oh I pity her for her story it's like oh, I don't I'm want like, pity yeah no I know you don't that's why that's <laughs> what I was gonna say like I don't it didn't change the way I viewed you in that way but it it changed like it just I don't know I had such a better understanding of like oh she's actually a badass got it <laughs> like,
1: okay like, I even could handle your dad so
0: yes oh okay. Oh my god you guys so for the oh, i have a lot obviously a lot of my listeners are my f- friends and so they know my dad and um i'm gonna have i think my dad he's i'm gonna break the rule and have him on the podcast for father's day we're gonna do a father-daughter episode and oh uh, i can't wait
1: thank yeah, you
0: i know that's what everyone says i've got multiple <laughs> requests to have i him also on want the- your
1: mama on though she's like, a good mama
0: my mom's so sweet my mom actually doesn't listen to the podcast <laughs> Um, I'm trying to get her to listen to other people's stories But I like warned her for my Episodes like probably don't listen to them And so now she's like afraid to listen to my podcast Um, But my dad is a religious Listener and a lot Of my friends have like very much requested him to come on. So anyway, you guys, all of the bitch need to hear this community is going to meet my dad. And you're going to realize how much of a character he is. However, I was so grateful to have such a fun internship supervisor. I think there are too many people in our field that are like a little bit stuffy and like don't, don't have a sense of humor. And, um, I, I definitely we remember. laughed a lot. We laughed. Luckily our offices were like tucked away and like, we just, I mean, yeah we'd get into some really really deep conversations we just <laughs> giggle and just yeah i mean it was such a such a fun experience such a great introduction into the world of school psychology which the world of education is a really hard place to be and a really hard place to work in right now so it was and i've gone through a lot in the last yeah, five have. years yeah working in schools and some really hard shit especially this year um so it was just such a great, such a great introduction into
1: one hundred. Yeah.
0: A positive introduction into the world of education. And I mean, you were always like real about it. You're, and we were, you know, I don't know. We you were, and I are
1: both real people. So it was just easy.
0: Yeah, it was just very easy. And especially we were we were definitely. um little bit misfits in the world of the north yeah Shore. we weren't
1: very beloved that's for sure <laughs> no, we were
0: not very beloved and we're both not there
1: anymore Shore. so that says a lot
0: yeah yeah we, we weren't we weren't super um popular there with our coworkers. we were we but we stuck together you know we
1: we, we did we were a team
0: I just it's been amazing being able to stay connected with you you've always just really inspired me and you've been such a you continue to be such a great positive mentor and I'm just so grateful that we've been able to stay in touch and that you've been able to like I said earlier at the top of the episode to come share this story because it's super it's just super inspiring you are such a resilient powerful intelligent woman and I think a lot of my listeners are going to be really inspired and empowered by your story and just again I hope it gives you guys hope um especially if you're April gave me a lot of hope when I was going through you know all my shit and feeling it like feeling like my world was ended I think she she reached out to me in the thick of that and reminded me like you know I had to start over at 27 too and I was like you know what yeah she did and it was way worse like I mean like you said it is either it always can be worse you know you're such you can always look at other people's situation it doesn't
1: and, feel that way though when you're in the thick of your shit so no, I get but that it,
0: but it gave me hope like she went through something that dark and Found like a whole new life and a whole new path, and I very much believe that I'm in the midst of that, like mm-hmm. paving
1: this new. Oh, path. I know you are. I know and, you are. You
0: know, and it's gonna take me and this to this life that I never could have even anticipated I was gonna have, and I really believe that's what happened to you. Like you, I don't think you could have even conceptualized the life that you have now when you were, you know, twenty two, twenty three, living in North Carolina. No, but, you, know, you know what no. I mean. Like, yeah. Just what an amazing journey, and I don't, I, you know, we don't, I don't, wit, like, I'm, I am can't believe that you went through all that tragedy and, and that pain at such a young age, but I think, you know, whatever our higher power is knew that you were able to handle it and you were going to be able to inspire other people and help other women so well
1: i'm your biggest cheerleader i'm very proud of you thank you i keep track of you all the time i check in thank
0: you <laughs> i was supposed I, to come see april in december uh to, i was my first trip back to chicago since i haven't lived there and uh, I unfortunately got caught in the in the thick of some really tragic stuff at work, and I haven't shared about it on the podcast. I haven't decided if I'm going to yet, but um, I'm coming to Chicago. I'm going to try to make it happen this
1: summer. Well, I'm here. I'm
0: going to try. So we got to. Go I would to love peace. to see you.
1: Oh yeah,
0: peace, yeah, or peace, or Asha Ball or one of oh, one yeah. of your favorites. One of my
1: favorites for sure. Yeah, I got to get down to the fashions. I got to get
0: you down to the city <laughs> for sure.
1: Oh, I'm I'm always up for the city. I may be old, but I still like to have fun. Oh, April's fun.
0: still a good time. Just because, she's, <laughs> just because she's turning 50 this week doesn't mean, next week doesn't mean shit. Oh, no. Like, you're no. definitely a young
1: 50, okay? Well, thank you, thank you, whatever that means, but I'll take it.
0: Well, like, I don't know. I keep saying, like, you know, 30 is the new 20, 40 is the new 30. Like, I just really feel like because we're living longer and we're healthier and, like, all of that, like, 50 isn't what it once was i, I agree ago, you I agree. i mean yeah like you don't even look 50 well thanks um, it's botox <laughs> <off>. <laughs> i got too much botox in january i still can't move my face but, um, <laughs> yeah botox is is the key um but anyway thank you so much for joining me this week april what a fun way to celebrate your 50th to just be able to share this story and um I'm excited that we're featuring April in April. Yes, we did think of it. And um,
1: yes, it was
0: sort of on purpose. Um, But... (laughs) yes no thank you I You're appreciate welcome. you so much you guys Um. definitely continue to share this podcast definitely follow us on Instagram at B you need to hear this I am in the midst of figuring out how to start making TikToks and getting newsletters and like really start promoting the podcast so if you know a woman in your life that could really uh, use some inspiring stories that would be any lady that you know um definitely keep sharing the podcast so all right I actually sitting here I'm trying to think if I could give you a preview for next week and I don't think I have one. oh you know what I do it is next week's episode is going to be no actually I haven't decided I'm not going to share it <laughs> <laughs> we have some really cool stuff coming up this month though so I'm excited you guys Claire, the Heartbreak Coach, is going to be on the podcast. Um, I have a girl coming on uh, talking about her weight loss story. I have a friend talking about her cancer journey. I have um, a lot of really cool stories coming up for you all. So it's going to be a fun month. All right, y'all. Till next week. This has been Bitch. You need to hear this.